0: Hello, hello, hello. It's Ferg and Heather here with Chapter 17 of Crimes Against Christmas. <laughs> We've been absolutely overwhelmed by all your support. The messages, the ratings and the coffees bought for us on our website. Thank you, thank, thank you, you, thank you. Please do keep subscribing and sharing. People can catch up from the start. We're not taking them down just yet. Indeed. So, Christmas Day and the death toll is mounting. Let's find out what Archridge is up to. Chapter Seventeen. More morning, morning. I took a tray of my own from a collection on the work surface and placed upon it a coffee in an earthenware mug and some cold toast. There was a tempting little jar of marmalade I'd have normally helped myself to, but caution was called for given the circumstances. As cringeworthy as my morning encounter with the Duplannises had been, I wasn't altogether shocked. It's something I've often found when working in the great houses of our country: the aristocracy are all money and no class. "'Manners, but no manners.' I wasn't keen on bumping into the pair of them again, so I gave myself a stiff talking to and took the passage which led to the Great Hall. As I approached the entrance to the vast room, I uttered a small prayer that the little trees upon the mantel had not suffered any further deforestation overnight. You might have cause to comment on my hypocrisy, given that I have told you before about my lack of faith in an omnipotent God, but that's the beauty of my position.' If there is an all-knowing and all-forgiving creator up there, then he'll already all know all my heathen thoughts and ways, but ipso facto, he'll also have already all forgiven them, won't he? So, asking for a bit of divine intervention is a bit like placing a bet on the 414 at Cheltenham using your uncle's tab. If it comes in, you collect the winnings, but if not, you've risked nothing. Regardless, the bearded bugger in the sky wasn't listening to your godless chronicler, as you shall see. The first thing I saw in the Great Hall was Turtle and Michelle entering through the far door, They were wearing the same clothes they had been in all trip. He in his shabby pale blue suit, her in the simple tea dress. Whether this was due to stress brought on by the predicament we all found ourselves in, or just a lack of panache, I couldn't say. I had decked myself out for Christmas Day in another, rather lovely, Harris Tweed three-piece, but this time the accent colour was a playful lilac. Obviously, I didn't want to make light of the situation, but I thought that the generally muted tones of the tweed gave me the licence for a little festive whimsy. "'Good morning, you two,' I called across the room. "'I'd learned from my previous faux pas and added, "'Not the merriest of Christmases today, but good wishes to you all the same.' "'Thank you, Mr Archridge. Same to you,' replied Michelle with a customary tuck of her ringlets. "'We came together in the centre of the hall, all of us, consciously or not, "'with our backs angled towards the mantelpiece. "'I, for one, wanted to put off any potential discovery for as long as possible "'and so attempted a bit of small talk. "'How did you sleep?' With my eyes closed, Mr Artridge? Turtle had taken the question at face value, and his face was entirely free from mockery. Michelle stepped in to provide a more sensible answer. We managed to get a few hours, thank you. You? To be perfectly honest, not well. I normally sleep like the dead. Again, my phrasing had let me down. Michelle's face registered my poor choice of words, her eyebrows quickly knitting together in a small frown. I mean, I normally sleep more deeply. I could do with more sleep a couple of hours of extra sleep. I added as a hasty addendum. Turtle seemed blissfully unaware of any awkwardness and continued to chat airily. If you're tired, why don't you just go back to bed? I seized upon the opportunity to turn the conversation to something a bit more light-hearted and decided to share my recent experience in the kitchen as an amusing little oasis in the desert of discomfort we found ourselves. (laughs) Well, actually, uh, you're not the first person to invite me to bed this morning, Turtle. Oh, Mr. Archridge, I wasn't inviting you. Each to their own and all that, but uh, I'm with Michelle. No judgement here, though, mate. Power to you. What? Oh, no, I see. No, no, I, I was just going to share a rather embarrassing little moment I had in the kitchen. Lady De Planis appears to be coping with the strain in a rather... amorous way. What? Turtle's face was blank, but his paramour understood. Her eyes had that particular shine of one about to enjoy a good gossip that I know so well from the salacious conversations down the club. I don't know how it is that housewives got the reputation for the nation's gossip mongers in chief. Anyone who's spent any time with a group of London chaps at rest with a snifter or two in the club lounge will have seen the relish with which they dissect the lives and secrets of our peers. Granted, we might couch it in terms of a tip or some insider information to assist with a stock play, but really it boils down to the same thing. He's saying she made a pass at him. Michelle explained. he? Turtle's eyes now shone too. I think so. Michelle glanced at me for confirmation. You are, aren't you, Mr. Uchridge? I am. He is. She clapped her hands together with delight. Tell us everything, said Terry, entwining his fingers with Michelle's. It was delightful to see how the prospect of my saucy little anecdote had lit up both their faces. I planned to tell it to them in as entertaining and diverting a fashion as I could muster. It would be my little Christmas gift to them. I took a few steps back. The better to give myself room for impersonating the tipsy walk of Lady Deplanus and the cowering cuckoldom of our host, but never got the chance to open the show. Michelle gasped, and Turtle buried his face into the crook of her neck. Her eyes were trained on a point above my shoulder as she spoke. (gasps) Sorry to interrupt in that, Mr Archridge, but who have you seen so far this morning? I confess I was so caught up in the preparation of my characters that I'd failed to notice the distinct shift in mood of my intended audience. I was rather irritated by the interruption, truth be told. Well, I had a brief exchange with the butler and his lordship about sending the maid for milk before Lady Diplanis came in, but that's not important to the story. What happened was... So you've not seen Father Vickers or the old duke then? No. Oh, no! sobbed Michelle, turning her face into the top of Turtle's head. Well, I'm sure they've both calmed down since last night. The rest will have been good for them. Turtle stopped me from going on further by lifting his face, thrusting his arm outward and pointing. Just look, Mr. Archridge, at the mantelpiece. I turned slowly, knowing full well what I would see, or rather, what I wouldn't see. And true enough, Turtle's finger was extended towards a gap in the greenery which last night had been filled by a small ceramic tree. My stomach lurched. This was getting out of hand. Someone was playing a sick game with us and I didn't like it one bit. The time had come for Peter Artridge to stop being a passive observer and take an active role in proceedings. I instructed Turtle and Michelle to stay in the great hall. I was going to need to trust somebody and it might as well be this pair. They were to stay put and keep an eye on the decorations. I told them that if anyone came in, they should make an excuse and leave by one of the other doors, but stay close by and, the second the hall was empty, to come back in and check the number of trees. They were on no account to approach anyone or share what we'd learned about the importance of the ornaments. They agreed to wait until I'd collected the others in the parlour, at which point I'd return and fetch them. I was impressed with the ease at which they accepted my orders. I'm not sure that I'd have wanted to stay in that room any longer than necessary. But perhaps I wasn't giving myself enough credit for my innate leadership ability? Or maybe they had nothing to fear because they already knew who was smashing the trees. Either way, I needed to keep moving. My plan, such as it was, was to bring everyone together in one place and try and turn up the heat on the murderer. By now, I was convinced that chemicals or drugs were a key tool in the killer's arsenal. So if I was careful with what I consumed and could keep everyone where I could see them, I was confident I could keep people safe. Of the remaining suspects, I, I didn't see any trying a frontal assault, particularly not if we were gathered in numbers. My first port of call was the Duplanises. Lord Planis opened the door and we exchanged some understandably awkward remarks with Lady Duplanis calling enticements to me from within. Oh, is that for me, darling? I managed to convince them of the importance of coming together as a group and they went to collect the Duke while I made my way to Father Vickers's room. I knocked on the door and there was no immediate answer. With every second of silence that passed, I could feel my heart rate increasing. I knocked again. Nothing. What should I do? Kick through the lock? I wasn't keen to be the one to discover the body, if indeed there was a corpse to find on the other side of the threshold. But equally, I needed to know if he was dead. Also, I hadn't fully disproved my seven deadly sins connection, and if Vickers wasn't in his room, could he be out exacting his righteous vengeance? I banged a third time on the door, using the heel of my fist with such force the wood jumped in its frame and appeared to cry out in fear. Lord, protect me! It took me a second in my heightened state to realise it wasn't the door screaming, but Vickers inside. My own adrenaline levels were so high I hadn't stopped to consider that the wretched priest would also have spent a fearful night. The last time I saw him, I told him to avoid contact with others until tomorrow, Boxing Day, when hopefully salvation would be sent us. I drew in a deep breath and tried to keep the anxiety and agitation from my voice as I called through to him. It's me, Artridge. I didn't mean to scare you, Father, but I need you to come out of your room. Oh no! Leave me be! I'll not be tempted! Listen to me, Vickers. I'm getting everyone together in the parlour. There is safety in numbers. As long as you don't drink or eat anything that smells or tastes unusual, you'll be fine. By the time I taste anything unusual, it'll be too late, Archridge. It was a point I was willing to concede. We were going to have to fast ourselves for the next 36 hours or so. I'd already eaten some of the food I'd taken from the kitchen last night and was feeling no ill effects, so at least I could ration myself out what remained. I'd offered to share it, but who would trust me? And I'd be more used to any other innocents by keeping my strength up so as to defend them physically if it came to it. Then just don't eat, but please come to the parlour with me. I need everyone together. There was a pause. Very well, but I'm taking precautions. Wait there. I agreed, and there followed some rustling on the other side of the door. (coughs) When it opened, it revealed Vickers looking more ridiculous than anyone I had ever seen. He was still wearing his wide-brimmed black hat, but had attached a pillow on top of it with string, and he'd used two belts to secure his blanket around his trunk. He looked like a soft-furnished armadillo. I don't know what he hoped the bedding would protect him from, beyond the gentle fall, but if it made him feel comfortable, I wasn't going to argue. Thank you. Now, hurry along. The others will be waiting, I hope. Vickers poked his head out and, with bloodshot eyes behind his round lenses which told the tale of a sleepless night, looked up and down the landing like a rodent sniffing the air after appearing from his burrow. Wait! I need one more minute! He slammed the door back shut. A second later, I heard an almighty crash of wooden glass inside his room. I flung the door open, fearing the murderer had somehow gained entry and done something awful, but found the priest alone, brandishing the leg of his dressing table like a club. The table itself was overturned. Broken objects were scattered across the floor, and the mirror had been smashed. I clearly didn't hide my astonishment at the devastation Vickers had wrought well, so he explained the thought process which had led him to destroy his room. I prayed for a weapon. "'but I wasn't provided with one. "'But then I realised, unlike the drowning king "'who refused the help of a boat, "'a dolphin and an eagle proclaiming God would save him "'without seeing God had already tried three times, "'the weapon had already been provided for me by his will.' "'I was tempted to point out the bad luck "'he'd just brought down upon his head, "'but thought better of it, "'as the previous two days had surely contained "'all the misfortune of seven years. "'I gently guided the gift-wrapped, "'club-wielding lunatic out of his room.' just pausing to scoop up and pocket a long sliver of broken glass as I did so. If the Lord was handing out weapons, I may as well have one myself, I thought. I wasn't sure if I'd have the necessary metal to employ it if the time came, but its weight in my pocket gave me a sense of security nonetheless. We made our way gently down the stairs, collected Turtle and Michelle, who treated Father Vicar's appearance with an admirable lack of comment, and entered the parlor to discover which of us the fifth fatal fur had represented. Another fur felled, but for whom does it fall? We'll find out tomorrow. Probably. Possibly. We'll find something out, I'm sure. See you then. Bye.